0: From the top of the charts to the dusty $1 bin and everything in between, it's time for another review on Life to Labyrinth. Okay. (laughs) Back for another week of Life to Labyrinth podcast. I am standing in my bedroom with Steven in my ears. How's it going, Steven?
1: Oh, not too bad. No, just the day-to-day glory of raising a (laughs) four-month-old.
0: How are things with you? Not so bad in day-to-day glory of raising a 5, 8, and 15-year-old. <laughs> a miniature army of children. Yeah, uh, uh, I think, uh, I'm not sure what a group of kids is called, but most people make the joke that it should be called a murder, and I think it's probably appropriate. I was literally saying,
1: Marge, it's called a murder.
0: <laughs> <laughs> a group of crows is called a murder. <laughs> <laughs> so, I kind of feel like this might be a bit of a shorter episode, but... I'm okay with that.
1: Yeah, um, like we talked a little off off air, I just didn't have a whole lot of notes on it. And I mean, by virtue of this, like we kind of went off a, a, the rails a little here, right? Listening to a live performance that we had to find on YouTube. Yeah. Made it kind of hard to structure notes as I typically would. Like, I don't know mm-hmm. if you also struggled with that, but.
0: Well, I managed to find that what I found out was a laser disc rip of it.
1: Oh my God, that was a laser
0: disc? That was a laserdisc that that uh, that copy I sent you. Yeah, yeah. it's a laserdisc rip. It's not DVD. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's just funny because I was actually going to say that I was actually really impressed that the video quality on that not super great, but the sound quality is actually quite good. Yeah, like, it's pretty clear. I wasn't I wasn't sure what to expect, but I was pleasantly surprised. It was really easy to understand, and I felt like it did a pretty good job of conveying the music accurately.
0: Yeah, and I will say, having mostly listened to the CD, uh, yeah, I found the sound quality to be pretty on par to my memories of it anyway. Obviously, I'm listening on a much different environment. When I listened to it as a child, my dad had a component stereo, jeez, with uh, you know an amp and an equalizer, a big equalizer for both sides, and then a CD player, and he had it piped through Bose 901 speakers in the living room. Whereas I've been listening to it. Largely on headphones on my computer, because I really don't have a whole lot of other options. Yeah. Don't particularly like streaming YouTube videos to Bluetooth speakers. And the ones that I have in the house, with the exception of the one in my bedroom, are not that great. They're kind of Chinese cheapos that are fine for the kitchen if they get messy. Or, you know, I bought them, I think, originally one or two of them um, to have music in the bathroom. So they're designed to be tough, not necessarily good sounding.
1: Yeah. And right. I've, I've noticed that too, that a lot of times with, especially YouTube, I have a lot of issues with, but with like streamed music that has any sort of extra data to it, like a music video or anything, yeah. I find it's really choppy and unreliable when it's cast to one of my speakers. Yeah. Um, so I listen to this, like you mostly on headphones. Um, one day I sat down and I was playing one of my games. I just muted my game and put it on like my phone. Right. Because my phone is still better quality than the little house speakers I bought. Yeah. But yeah, I did most of this listening to this um, headphones as well.
0: Cool. So just give you some background. And like we were saying, I almost I considered actually calling my dad and just kind of talking to him about it, because this album kind of means a lot to me for a bunch of reasons. And it influenced my musical tastes and my kind of direction, I think, as somebody that learned to play instruments dare I say a musician more than I kind of realized until I went back to it this time. So my dad had this album and I don't know on like what the order was, but it's my understanding that my parents saw Chris Berg either on this tour or on one previous cause I saw him in probably the late nineties and like very late middle school. And it was in a smaller hockey rink in Ottawa where the Ottawa 67s play. So it wasn't like a big arena. It was a smaller one. And he was by himself, which is the way he tours quite a lot, is my understanding. So I've heard this album, which is a... So including Krista Burke, there's six people in this band. Two guitars, bass drums, keyboards, and then a multi-instrumentalist of a guy that's playing either guitar, keyboards, or saxophone, depending on the song. Um, And sometimes all three in the same song, depending on what it is. And, um, and so to go from like, and I don't know, I, I I recognize that you said that this wasn't really your jam, totally fair, but it's a big sound. I don't know if you found that, but I found like it's, it's right at the heart of like the late eighties where there was big reverb on the guitars, big reverb on all the drums, like reverb was huge. You get that big, massive sound. In addition to that, they're all of the keyboards they're using are very high end electric keyboards. So when you hear the piano and stuff, it's got that sort of uncanny valley sound to it. Because it's the technology wasn't quite there to make a really true piano sound digitally. So you get that sort of midi like uncanny valley sound.
1: Yeah. Yeah I totally agree with that. Um like you said we touched on it a bit off air which my bad. But like this just isn't it's just not my sound right, obviously like compared to what I've already spoken about and where I grew up with these two albums we did of mine. It yeah. just, isn't really my typical sound saying that I still really enjoyed it. And it is a big sound and there's, it's a lot and it's complex and I think it's managed really well. And then, yeah, <laughs> I was going to comment on, yeah, the piano just has that slightly, like where you said uncanny Valley, that just slightly wrong kind of sound to it. Yeah. But I didn't enjoy it any less. It was just kind of like a fun little observation. I didn't realize that was kind of a consequence of its age, which As you kind of said, um, I think the sound is very definitive of of the era it came from. Like, as soon as, you know, that first song started playing, I was like, oh, (laughs) like, I know this is clearly like, we'll say 85 to like 94, (laughs) because like that 10 year period, all that that big reverb, those big, like interesting musical components, the saxophone I loved. Like, yeah. it just came out of nowhere on that the first track it's on. I was like, what? Hell yeah. I'm always down for some sacks.
0: <laughs> yeah, so this, this album was recorded at the RDS in Dublin in December of 1988. It's not terribly specific if this is one of those situations where he played like three nights and they took the best of all three, but they all wore the same outfits, or this is one performance. I know that having listened to the CD that has a slightly different track listing to the recording that we've been watching and listening, all of the recordings that match up are the same. Some of the talking in between the songs is a little bit different, but Mm -hmm. based on my memory, they're all the same performances. So my guess is it's probably a one-nighter. But it's kind of hard to tell because it's in a concert film. As I'm sure, I don't know. You, you probably watch them. Um, I watch them quite a lot. But there's those ones where they are clearly using a sound like the best performance from one concert, and they're kind of overlaying it of footage of like the three nights. So like, pe- like the guitars will change through the song, or the clothes will change, and that yeah, sort
1: it's, of stuff. It's almost like a little <laughs> music video they put together.
0: Yeah. And the only reason I'm not entirely sure is because on the um, movie of it, sometimes the audio didn't match what was happening in the video, like the drums didn't match perfectly or the people who were like the playing piano or something like their, their, their bodies didn't always match what was happening in the music.
1: Yeah. Um, I noticed that too. And like you said, like, there's kind of a bunch of different scenarios for that and it's hard to know for sure it was because it could just be right given the age of the recording and the fact that it's laserdisc it could just be like an inconsistency in the audio video tracks like Mm -hmm. could just be a degradation of age it could be that it was like produced slightly wrong or yeah it could be a miss like a a mashup of a bunch of different performances or it might be that they recorded say three separate nights and then picked the best one to edit
0: yeah and they all wore the same clothes yeah which would make sense. So I'm not sure. I didn't notice anything that implied a kind of desynchronization between the audio and video track. It wasn't like the drummer sort of did a fill that was like, but but, but, but then on the sound, it was like, but, 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 but then you could kind of, it seemed to be different. It didn't seem to be like delayed or something like that. So I'm not sure. And also quite often live albums will kind of secretly go back to the studio and people will do overdubs on them. So, you know, Ozzy's pretty famous for that. Yeah, I was gonna say the only
1: one I know for sure who does that is Ozzy, because like, <laughs> he's
0: almost as famous as
1: he is infamous for it.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I mean the most obvious performances I've seen are um like bootleg performance recordings of him with Randy Rhodes, because so there's really only one professionally recorded video of them playing together. The rest of them are all bootlegs.
1: Oh, damn.
0: There are people in the audience and stuff like that. It's a really kind of sad thing about music history where, like, I guess they presumed they'd have longer together. So, you know, Sharon, being his manager at the time, never bothered to organize a concert recording, concert video recording anyway of them. But if you listen to the way Ozzy sings in those bootleg recordings, his voice is very weak and it cracks a lot. He can't sing very well because not only was he becoming very famous at the time, but he was also pretty notoriously shit-faced. I mean, he, it was just after he got fired from Black Sabbath for being mm-hmm. too much of a drug addict. Yeah, right. So, he yeah, was, he went through know, some he,
1: pretty rough periods, right? Like,
0: yeah. Like I mentioned before, like, if you go to listen to
1: Marky Mark, or Marky Mark, that's wrong. <laughs> Mark Ramone's. If you go to listen to Marky Ramone's feature, like, I want to say podcast, but it's, it's not, it's, but it's on Sirius XF anyways.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He sounds just, his voice sounds so destroyed. Ozzy was that, but like 20 years faster. Like even yeah. by the end of Black Sabbath, you could tell they were having to re-record or alter his voice sometimes because he just couldn't do it anymore. Like it just yeah. couldn't keep up.
0: Yeah, but if you go listen to the live album tribute that they put out of him performing with Randy Rhodes, He sounds phenomenal on it. So it's like, yeah, (laughs) um, these are not the concert recordings. So I don't know if because as part of this, just for my own fun, I went on YouTube and tried to find more video of Berg performing. And I found stuff of him when he was younger than he was in this video. And I found stuff of him that's pretty recent. And the stuff of him that's pretty recent, his voice is a lot thinner. Mind you, he's 30 years older. Yeah. So I'm not holding that against him. It's kind of impressive. He seems to sing most of the songs in the same key. But when he does that, when he goes up to like the higher notes, he loses all his power. So as much as I feel disappointed that I saw Christoph Berg by himself and the sound was very thin, I don't know if I'd go see him with a band now because I watched some footage of him in 2019 and his voice just isn't there anymore. And I think his voice is so much of where the power of this album comes from. So I yeah. don't know if I go see him again yeah that's I'd...
1: fair right like it's he's a it's a very vocally strong kind of performance um yeah. and right he's pay, like he's center stage through it all constantly pulling attention back to him from the crowd and yeah, yeah his voice is starting to kind of wash out It'd be really hard for him to challenge instrument level or sorry concert level instruments with a voice that just can't hack it anymore
0: yeah 100 percent. and yeah i think as a, as a singer songwriter you really know I've always thought of Berg as a true Irish bard because all of his songs are about these bigger than life stories or they're about war for the most part. So I don't I just I think, of you know, without his voice and without his singing, it really detracts from the lyrics and the lyrics are the story like Berg sings stories. They have a beginning a middle and an end. He doesn't have like sort of just gobbly goop nonsense songs like Bowie wrote, you know, or John Lennon was writing and stuff like that. Like he, if I, I think Krista Burke could be very easily implanted into like the 1300s with a lute and be just as successful. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah, that's fair. Cause right. Like even listening to it, um, right. I, I couldn't think of the actual name, but it's like a soft rock album. But in reality, it's actually much more like folk music. It's just like almost like a rock music, rock inspired folk music is kind of yeah. the vibe I was getting. Cause yeah, it's all, it's all stories and tales and it's about the, like how expressive he is and how animated he is on stage just as much as it is about the music he's performing and like the words
0: he's singing. For me, this was something that I listened to a million times. Like my dad played this all the time. Like he used to put it on and he'd stand in the living room in the dark with like his ears cupped to listen to it louder and I remember like we, my brother and I used to like spin in circles and get really dizzy. You know, the, the guitar sound I didn't realize until like I listened to it again. I like big reverby guitar and it's probably because of this album. So I'd say probably the lead guitarist, Danny McBride, no relation as far as I know to the comedian, Danny McBride. <laughs> I
1: was just wondering, I'm like, wait, <laughs> that's, that sounds it's very funny. <laughs>
0: I think he probably more or less influenced the sound that I enjoy in, a, in an electric guitar more than anyone else, as much as like the Beatles made me want to learn how to play guitar. Kurt Cobain got me to actually learn how to play guitar. Dimebag Darrell got me to learn how to play guitar better. I think this guy, probably more than anyone, made me love the sound of a big electric guitar. Just when They come into Last Night, the opening track, and he does those big like open chord hits and try and rev the audience up like just, they're just fantastic in my opinion.
1: Yeah. So I could see
0: having listened to what we, you know, um, the drop kicks, if you're coming from a stripped down punk rock history to listen to this fucking reverb 1988 arena rock Irish bard, I could see (laughs) where this would kind of not, you know, slide smoothly into your repertoire. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, I appreciate the Irish flair to it, you know, bring a little close to the drop kicks for
0: me. <laughs> Keep it close to home. Um, no bagpipes yeah. though. A-
1: abs- yeah, no bagpipes, and really. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> um but yeah, absolutely. That's right. It's not that I don't enjoy this out. It just I don't know what I was expecting, but I guess sometimes I get so into my own little like sound bubble of what I I know and what I expect from music that yeah, yeah. those those big open like chord rips were just fantastic like i'll be fair like if i was in that audience he absolutely would have won me over they're just so much fun they're so impressive and yeah i've never really listened to a lot of reverby music before
0: um and pretty good shit (laughs) it's surprising to me because you mentioned last week that you like your dad listened to iron maiden and stuff so if he was listening to 80s like late 70s and 80s era british wave of heavy metal i'm surprised that that wouldn't have kind of crossed your desk more often.
1: Well, see, it's one of weird thing when I, I, mean that's why I kind of had a hard time picking which album to go with for my dad was that like my dad listened to this huge spectrum um, still does. Like he's still a absolutely fanatic music fan. Um, but pretty early on, for whatever reason, punk rock was what kind of called to me. So a lot of times it was my dad would put on his music and if it wasn't essentially if it wasn't like punk rock or Johnny cash, I just didn't listen to it (laughs) because it just didn't have that sound for me. Um, So yeah, I'm sure like if I were to really deep dive my memories and think about it, I'm sure um, I've heard plenty of it. And like I kind of said in the beginning when, when that first song kicked off, I knew the kind of era of music because I just, I know I've heard it and I know I've heard that kind of sound before, but Mm -hmm. I've never sat down and actually listened to it, especially not when I've been old enough to really, think of and you know understand kind of the concepts and the the intricacies of it
0: because
1: mm-hmm. uh, yeah i just it was one of those things i kind of wrote off at an early age because i was like eh, it's not punk rock and like uh, it's not the alt stuff that i'm i'm using to be you know my independent <laughs> top-year-old self <laughs> but yeah right like today honestly i couldn't i probably couldn't list more than maybe two iron maiden songs <laughs> despite the fact that my dad still listens to them regularly okay. Um, yeah it just was one of the kind of in one ear and out the other i i know it was on in the background but i don't have any conclusive memories of ever actually paying attention or listening to it oh yeah and i don't know what that is i honestly couldn't tell you why one sound kind of attracted me more than the other um, but that's why i ended up going with drop kicks was because when i sit down and just kind of top of my head think about the music i listened to as a kid it's all punk music, like all Ramones, right. Dropkicks, Rancid, all that stuff came up. I just, my dad had a big ass, like, I <laughs> he had this big poster of Eddie on our, like, I was going to say <laughs> the rec room wall, but where we lived at the time, our rec room, living room, dining room, and everything else was kind of one big room. <laughs> 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 like, you would walk into our, like, our tiny ass British apartment, and one of the first things you would see was this, like, three and a half foot tall, Poster of Eddie, just like slammed on the wall across from the door, and my mom hated it. I remember that much. But yeah, so like I knew my dad listened to it. I just never cared. Mm-hmm. It was right up there with Led Zeppelin for me. I really couldn't have. To this day, I still haven't ever bothered to give it a chance.
0: Oh yeah. Well, in terms of this album and my exposure to it, like this is probably this is pre twelve years old for me. I don't remember how old I was kind of when my dad stopped listening to this, but it wasn't very old. So like this is definitely probably less than 10 years old. And following that, anytime I would have listened to it after that would have been on that stereo that I saved up and bought that my cousin got given as a gift on my own. And then, yeah, about 15 years ago, uh, Liam's mom and I kind of, listen to it again. Cause I'm not sure what her exposure to Krista Berg is. I think maybe her parents listened to it a little bit. Her dad's a really big, like music head. It wouldn't be unheard of that. He would have listened to Krista Berg, but Liam really loves Spanish train. And so we started listening to it uh, for a little while. And when I mentioned to her that I was going to do this, she was like, fuck yes, Krista Berg. And then she started listening to Krista Berg again. So <laughs> cool. So for me, it's funny though, because watching the video of this is kind of like, don't meet your heroes because I have this memory of this album with this enormous bigger than life sound and him having this enormous voice and these incredible story songs and listening to it in a lounge chair or my dad blasting it in the living room, like literally in the dark. My dad wasn't a headphones guy, my dad had his big Bose 901 speakers and he just like just fucking ripped it. And my mother be damned, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and so. This was sort of like every like it It lived in my head. Who Krista Berg was lived in my head as much. Even though I'd seen him live, we were kind of up in the nosebleeds. And it wasn't in a situation like this where he had a big stage and a band. He was just a guy on stage with a guitar and a piano. And he kind of bounced back and forth depending on the song he was doing. So to see him do it live and actually see him perform it actually humanized him for me. Where all my memories were of this like Greek god or something or Irish like bigger than life man superhero musician and then I saw him on stage in his oversized 80s suit with his white socks and shoes you know clapping away and running around just kind of looking like a dad (laughs) and surrounded by a band of guys and in my head it created this like orchestra of just cacophony of amazingness and it's just all these like older dudes and mustaches and mullets (laughs) and it just like it really was like don't meet your heroes for me watching this video it was it was really funny so (laughs) when i had to kind of minimize the video and just kind of listen to music because i was like krista burke is such a dork
1: (laughs) Like that's literally the first thing i noticed when i like press play on the video i was like wow look at that mullet like (laughs) they all have mullets (laughs) yeah but it starts with this like it's a close-up of <laughs> the and I was like, man, look at this mullet and the giant shoulder pads, which I still to this day don't understand. <laughs> and then yeah. yeah, it zooms out and it just becomes this sea of mullets on stage. <laughs> I was yeah. like, this is so
0: 80s. <laughs> like I yeah. don't know if
1: you could be more 80s if you tried.
0: Yeah, and his like his stage presence sucks. He's he the the most crowd interaction he has to kind of points at people and smiles and then claps <laughs> all the while playing. The the symbol of the 80s acoustic guitar, an ovation 12 string with the big round plastic back on it and stuff like, Mm -hmm. yeah, this was very much a sort of hilarious. Don't meet your heroes for me. And (laughs) (laughs) like (laughs) I have it on now because when we do these, I always sort of play the album as we're talking about it in case something kind of plays that I want to jump on. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm just watching him just just like (laughs) this man in my head was like bigger than life and to see him in the flesh, he's not a particularly tall man. So when you see him to get pictures with people, he's usually shorter than them. And he's just, you know, he's just not a cool man. He's he's a really, really, really good songwriter, but he is not a cool man.
1: (laughs) (laughs) He's just a rocker dad.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And even when like, I went back and watched some footage of him, like early in his career in the seventies and stuff. And even then, like, it, it's as if someone transplanted a D and nerd and just give <laughs> him a music career. It's like somehow like Robert Plant of Led Zeppelin loved Lord of the Rings so much, but was cool about it. This is almost like DeBerg was like Lord of the Rings. I could write songs like that, but, but he was the like Robert Plant's like incredibly dorky friend. Mm-hmm. So he does yeah. look
1: honestly like no offense to him, like no harm meant, but man, he does look like such a dork.
0: Like, yeah, like and he looks like
1: he's probably a real chill dude to sit down and talk to, but man, yeah. he looks like the 80s equivalent of, like you said, just the biggest nerd. <laughs>
0: like- yeah, like the biggest history nerd. This guy writes like constantly about the war and like Irish history and English history. Like he, his songs are all very emotional, like. Borderline especially I find is just an incredibly emotional song and it's very thin. It's just him with a piano for the most part. And, and, but it's, this is a man who for me will always live as a faceless entity. If I ever had the opportunity to meet him, I would have nothing but good things to say. I'd be very, very excited to meet him, but it'd be because I respect him so much as a musician. Whereas like if I met, you know, Jimmy Page, it'd be like, this is otherworldly for me. Like this man is, he, he is that bigger than life figure. And he lived up to it. And when you see him on stage, him, plus him and Robert Plant on stage and Led Zeppelin at their prime, like there was nobody cooler and bigger than life than those guys. And you cut to this and it's like, there's a keyboard player who's like a thinning hair and a mullet. (laughs) And he looks like he's about 47 years old. And he's wearing like a button-down shirt tucked into khakis with pleats, and it's just like this is the least cool group of people. (laughs) These are the like the least cool rock stars I have ever seen in my life. Yeah, but (laughs) my God, are they all amazing musicians?
1: Right, they're so damn talented. But to look at (laughs) them, it—the only thing I could think of, even after being like amazed by the music, was that they look like a group, like a group of guys who were friends as like. Teenagers who had a little garage band, and then say twenty years later, we're like, hey, let's get the band back together and you know, relive a bit (laughs) of our youth.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, Christopher is somebody that's released, like, to my knowledge, live albums notwithstanding. I think he has twenty-five albums out.
1: God damn.
0: Like, wow. Yeah, like he is just a powerhouse songwriter musician. And admittedly, some of his albums (laughs) that? Oh, I said he's like the Stephen King of musicians. Yeah. And admittedly, I have not listened to a lot of his studio stuff because um, much like I was going to get to this album is the reason that I love live albums more than studio as a general rule. And I find any of these songs that I've listened to or in the album form, they're just lacking. The excitement's not there. The presence isn't there. Like it's just... It's just less than this. So I haven't really listened to a whole lot of his stuff on his studio albums. And it's because I find none of it's really lived up to this. And even through this process of revisiting this album and finding other live performances, even stuff from the same tour, there was there's like a two or three hour YouTube video concert that he did, I think, from Moscow or something on the same tour, as far as I know, or at least the same era. It's within the same kind of couple of years and even then like it's not the production on it isn't as good and his voice isn't as big and powerful which also kind of twigged me to be like is some of this re-recorded so i was like either this has got some re-recordings on it or it's very possible that like because they knew they were recording this they took a week or two off of the tour to rest his voice up
1: mm, yeah and then like, he did this for it
0: yeah as opposed to him you know just being mid-tour singing every other night for two and a half, three hours like he does in this concert. And his voice is just tired.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. Because I, I, I'll i be honest, I didn't. I normally at least try to kind of do a bit more digging, listen to a kind of mis- a few more miscellaneous tracks to get kind of a feel for the, the music and the artist. And I just yeah. I didn't with this one. Like, it's been a busy week, but <laughs> that's mostly an excuse. I just didn't have much interest in it. That's so fair. yeah, Whatever. my my only exposure to actual exposure to Christopher has been this album. And that was one of the things that I was like, I was really, really impressed by how like loud and clear the vocals were coming through and how the instruments were still always present and that like larger than life feeling, but they never Mm -hmm. kind of overruled one another. There wasn't any point where I felt anything was getting washed out or kind of mixed together. And I was really, Mm -hmm. really impressed by that. Um, So it's cool to hear that. Yeah. that That's not, necessarily totally kind of consistent across the board
0: yeah yeah it's it, at least not with what i found and the problem with an artist like chris berg is that in his biggest claim to fame in most of the world is lady in red mm-hmm. which if you've listened to this entire album i'm sure even after the first listen through you were like this song does not match his other songs <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> without getting into a lot of lyrics, I know we read lyrics sometimes in this, but I think the the song I have on right now in my ears is Revolution is, you know, he's talking about like tall ships on the coast, carrying light in the dark of the night. And, you know, they whisper in the wind, Revolution. And it's like Lady in Red, <laughs> you know, yeah. Oh yeah, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was going to say, like, the the song he opens with last night, where he's talking about soldiers for the most part, another soldier song, and I know, it just, it doesn't fit. We'll get it to it at the end, because we got to do Songbird, we'll do it at the end, and I would say there's two for me. Anyway, so had you heard Lady in Red? Yeah, That's so
1: the- I was going to say, the only the only one I definitively knew, and I couldn't have you could have put a gun in my head. I couldn't have told you who it was. Who it was? But Lady <laughs> in Red was the one I knew. Okay. The other one that like felt familiar to me was Patricia the Stripper. Okay. Uh, not with the same kind of level of oh wow, I've definitely heard this more times than I've ever realized. Mm-hmm. But enough that like when the beat started kicking, I was like oh I think I like this sounds super familiar to me. Um, but yeah, Lady in Red right away I recognized. The rest,
0: nope. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna look up the lyrics to borderline because that's the one that seems to really connect with this audience the most
1: yeah man people went nuts for that but borderline's the one where he it's essentially just him with the piano for a bit right just him
0: with the piano yeah and he had some uh he's got some big vocal moments in that song yeah because that was the one like i'd said where i kind of had it playing while i was playing
1: video games not really watching it that was the one where like when the piano kicked in, I like immediately was like, "Ooh, that's interesting. What's going on now? Yeah. And yeah, he like he really kills it for that performance. And the crowd just ate it up.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I'm just going to read. I think it's not a particularly long song, but it tells a really good story. Just bear with me. All right. I'm standing in the station. I'm waiting for a train to take me to the border. And my love one far away. I've watched a bunch of soldiers heading for the war, and I could hardly even bear to see them go. Rolling through the countryside, tears are in my eyes, we're coming to the borderline, I'm ready with my lies. And in the morning rain, I see her there, and I know I'll have to say goodbye again. And it's breaking my heart, and I know what I must do, That's the chorus. I hear my country call me, but I want to be with you. I'm taking my side, one of us will lose. Don't let go, I want to know, that you will wait for me until the day. There's no borderline, no borderline walking past the border guards, reaching for her hand, showing no emotion. I want to break into a run, but these are only boys and I will never know how men can see wisdom in a war. And that was the line that the Irish audience just fucking connected with. Mm-hmm. Has, has Ireland ever not been in civil war?
1: <laughs> yeah. Right. Like I do understand. Um, Cause I'll be honest, I didn't pay a ton of attention to the lyrics. I was just really blown away with the vocal work. Um, yeah. Right. That totally makes sense. Like culturally that, yeah man ireland's constantly being a been in, in some sort of perpetual conflict mm-hmm. and most of it is not their fault a lot of yeah. it, the british but <laughs> mm-hmm. um but yeah and then right even the separation between the south and the north it's just been this perpetual state of war and conflict and it just sometimes it feels nice when somebody calls people out on their bullshit like that
0: yeah, it seems to be... I mean, there's not a whole lot of super famous Irish artists. I think the only two that I would even dare to name that I have no songs are is him and the Cranberries. I was like, who the hell's? I was like, oh, the, Dolores! Zombie. Dolores! <laughs> zombie! Who the hell? What's the band name? <laughs> like, all these other things. And I mean, the Cranberries sing about, you know, Irish war a lot, too. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, and so... There's a few there's a couple of songs on here. One anyway, one especially that I'd never heard before because it's not on the album. And that is The Spirit of Man. And it's a weird song. I could see why they cut it from the album, if I'm honest. Which is weird because some of the songs they cut from the album is like A Spaceman Came Traveling, which is a phenomenal song.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say actually, really, really like that
0: one. Yeah. And it's like, I can't imagine, like, and this, like, Spirit of Man song is just, like, goofy. It's like, you cut Space Man Came Traveling about the alien who who's there when Jesus is born?
1: Like, <laughs> Though to be fair.
0: It's funny that you didn't kind of get into the lyrics because it's kind of the best part about Christopher. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, Sp- <laughs> Space Man Came Traveling, I did. Um, but I wonder, too, right, how much of that is, especially at the time the desire to not intentionally rile religious figures, we'll say, especially in Ireland where religion is still a very big deal. And like Catholicism still has a lot of sway over pop oh, culture Catholics versus
0: Protestants. will get stones thrown at you in that kind of Yeah,
1: right. Exactly. Um,
0: so I imagine
1: a song about an alien who meets baby Jesus <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> might have ruffled
0: some feathers. Yeah. The star in the, the sky when Jesus following. was born was his spaceship.
1: Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, that that might have caused some strife, we'll say, and maybe they just
0: figured it was better to <laughs> cut that from the, the album. That' in realistic. It's on you? the album, like oh. the laserdisc that we watched was a very limited release. It's on the album. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I was getting them mixed up in my head. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like, um, yeah, this isn't ne- like "Spaceman Came Traveling." Funny, I don't again. I don't know what it's like in countries where religion is a very hot button issue. I mean our neighbors to the South. It is quite a hot button issue in some places, but not like Ireland. And yeah. I mean, it's now become like a Christmas song. Like I'm like, I would say if there's two songs on of Christa Berg that you as a listener have heard, it's lady in red and spaceman came traveling. And you probably have heard spaceman came traveling at Christmas time. Even if you didn't know who it was.
1: Yeah. See Sp- spaceman didn't seem familiar to me. Like it didn't register as something I'd heard before. I will yeah. say I will be continuing to listen to it <laughs> a lot. Now it's a good song. It's it's a phenomenal song. Like
0: it's yeah. just it's a really it's a I think it's a, a a tribute to who he is as a songwriter, where he can take something like the birth of Jesus and, in my opinion, treat it respectfully but spin it on its head, where it's like an alien coming down.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's really important in music too. Like I think that's a sign of true almost like creative or artistic talent is the ability to take something known and familiar and comfortable completely like twist it and kind of take a bit of satire of it, but still make it feel relatable and familiar somehow. Yeah. I can't find the words to kind of explain why it impressed me so much, but I did really, really enjoy it. Not just because it's kind of a ridiculous premise to try and imagine, like picturing that in my head as it played out, was comedy gold (laughs) but it is still it's a structurally lyrically extremely impressive song
0: yeah like you said it does a
1: really good job of taking that concept and kind of just flipping it over and seeing what happens with it
0: yeah and it's actually one of the few that you can easily find song history for so since we have so little of that i'm gonna read that too (laughs) (laughs) again if you're listening to this episode this song is not on the video we watched but it is on the album and if you're looking for it, it's on his album, Spanish Train and Other Stories, which I believe was his first album released in 1976. So the song History of Spaceman Came Traveling is DeBerg, who had just signed his first recording contract with a and was broke and staying in a friend's flat when he read Chariots of the Gods by Erich von Dyken. You're the German, so you probably have to correct my pronunciation. <laughs> um, the book made him think, what if the star of Bethlehem was a spacecraft? And what if there is a benevolent being or entity in the universe keeping an eye on the world and our foolish things that we have done to each other? A fan of Irish poet William Butler Yeats, whose work, The Second Coming, avers that every 2,000 years or so there would be a major cataclysmic event happening, de Bourgh saw the birth of Christ as such an event, and then 2,000 years later there would be a similar one. He imagined the the nativity scene, the thing hovering over, I could see the shepherds in the fields, and this weird ethereal music was drifting into the air, and they were, what the heck is that? But he had no ideas about trying to write a hit record. The song failed to chart when it was first released as a single, but DeBerg says it's been much better to have a regular recurring song than a hit for three weeks. And then following the success of Lady in Red, a reworked version of the song was released as a single for Christmas in 1986. And back to the remix version of Ballroom of Romance. That's another, cool. uh, another, a further new version was released as a download-only single in 2010 under the title "Spaceman Came Traveling 2010." This features a newly recorded vocal and is somewhat more downbeat than the original, consisting largely of keyboards and acoustic guitar. I don't know. I might listen to that. Yeah, I think I'm gonna
1: check that out after we're done too. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> so it's been covered a bunch. Yeah. So I, I think definitely this weird spirit of man song. Could have continued to be left off in favor of this, but yeah, I agree with that. That would have I got all tongue tied, kind
1: of <laughs> confused myself, and no doubt everyone else. Um, but what I did is I watched that laserdisc, and then what I did was I went and I found the like, alb like live album on YouTube, mm-hmm. and oh yeah, watched one and then listened to the other just to kind of see if there was a whole lot of difference between them. Which honestly, I didn't notice a lot other than the fact that st- the album had some tracks that weren't in the video. Um, Mm -hmm. And I just chalked that up to either they cut certain songs in the sake of how much time they could fit on the laser disc or just like they wanted to highlight high action, like crowd responses throughout the show. Um, Yeah. I never really considered that. It might actually legitimately just be that they, We're like, hey, maybe don't play that. (laughs) So we started talking about it. But yeah, I agree. Out of the two, (laughs) Space a much better song. Like, I think it's I don't want to say it would have done really well because I don't know the crowd he was playing to, obviously. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think it would be a very good concert song, like having never seen him or probably never getting the chance to see him. Yeah.
0: It feels like it'd be a really fun song to play at a concert. Yeah. I'm just trying to see what songs are different because Lonely Sky is on the Laserdisc, but it's not on the album. Mm-hmm. And I would say that's actually a good addition. Lonely Sky is a good tune. I'm going to see which ones they cut out. I think they might have cut out. Yeah. They added, they cut Space Man Came Traveling.
1: Hey, sorry. Uh, keep going. I'll be right back in a sec. There's something going on with our
0: smoke, like our fire alarm. Our oh, somebody's cooking at Stephen's house. <laughs> yeah, apparently. <laughs> so the track list, I'll just, while Stephen's away. I'll just run the track listing real quick. So on the album, which I consider to be the true form of this, Track listing goes Last Night, Sailing Away, The Revolution, I'm Not Scared Anymore, Spanish Train, Borderline, The Risen Lord, The Last Time I Cried, The Lady in Red, A Spaceman Came Traveling, Patricia the Stripper, Missing You, Say Goodbye to It All, Don't Pay the Ferryman, High in Emotion. The Laserdisc Concert um, is Last Night, Sailing Away, Revolution, I'm Not Scared Anymore, Spanish Train, Borderline, Spirit of Man, Lady in Red, The Risen Lord, The Last Time I Cried, Lonely Sky, Patricia, the stripper missing you say goodbye to it all. Don't pay the ferryman high in emotion, quite similar, a little bit different. And I think aside from not having Spaceman came traveling. It hits a lot of the good moments for me. It's like the, the big moments of this are really are in the songs that oh, stand by Stephen's house is just burning down.
1: All right. I'm back again. <laughs> hopefully all hopefully right. This time. But yeah, I just want to put a bunch of fucking tape on it because man i'm
0: telling you had to be today oh i'm just standing here hearing it go off and your baby screaming and i was just like oh that poor bastard yeah right and that's you like it was just me and danielle that's one thing anyways let's jump back to
1: where we were (laughs) while i was gone
0: (laughs) yeah so um while you were away i kind of just ran down the differences in the track list one versus the other and i think I think in my opinion: the true form of this album is the is the CD. I like the track listing better. I like the order of some of the songs a little bit better. Um, and honestly, the spirit of man it's a it's a fun, goofy song. But I think it's not my pick for Songbird. So I'll, I'll just jump on that. But I think it does derail the flow of the concert CD or concert video. Yeah. So, you know, we haven't really talked too much about songs specifically, but I would be remiss if we didn't talk about Spanish Train, which is like the first song on his first album. And it's one of his most well-known songs. And arguably, I'd say if you want to get an idea of who Christoburg is and his power as a lyricist, Spanish Train is definitely a good place to start, which is literally where his career starts. But... The uh, the song is the story of a train carrying the souls of the dead to the underworld and Jesus and Lucifer are playing poker gambling with souls as currency and then Lucifer cheats wins the game and then the song finishes with the stanza and far away in some recess the Lord and the devil are now playing chess the devil still cheats and wins more souls and as for the Lord well he's just doing his best. Um, and fun fact, the song was deemed blasphemous in South Africa, and a ban was ordered. AM Records sued to get the ban overturned. Uh, the suit was eventually successful. However, while the suit was in progress, a released the album under the title Lonely Sky and Other Stories without Spanish Train on it. And that album is considered a collector's item today because there's so few copies of it. But it's sort of funny... Because the word they're using, sort of perversely, the ban only applied to the LP record, so the cassette issue of the span of Spanish Train was always freely available. So <laughs> there was a ban on, and they're like, "All right, fine, we'll change the record," but they didn't change the cassette. <laughs> <laughs>
1: wow, they were really fucking phoning it in on your job, eh? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, the Sex Pistols may not have liked AM or EMI, but I think that's a baller move on a ms part. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty fucking
1: dope. And two, how long do you think it took for that to be noticed, honestly? <laughs> like...
0: I don't know. Because it sounds like, you know, if the album is such a collector's item. It was only released in South Africa and it was limited run while the band was on. So it probably, you know, they probably were like, we're going to win this. It's cool. <laughs> Just don't tell anybody about the cassettes, okay? And eventually we'll just release the albums and there'll be because c there'll be a collector's item some someday. It'll be a talking point. It'll be fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> like they're probably like, This is great. They banned it, so we can release a slightly altered version, sell those, and then when the ban is lifted, we'll just release the regular album into that market and sell those too.
1: Yeah. I mean, kind of playing both <laughs> the best worlds there.
0: <laughs> Record companies may be soulless, especially if you ask John Lydon, but <laughs> <laughs> with with money becomes the unique. um How's there's a guy that, that puts it in Moneyball. He's like, when you have enough money, you don't have to care what baseball thinks. Oh, I don't know. I'm not
1: sure <laughs> if I saw Moneyball. <laughs> like, you yeah, never seen Moneyball? I might not have ever seen Moneyball.
0: Oh my god, I've seen Moneyball like no no bullshit like 15 times. I go through phases where I watch it, and I've been going through one the past couple of weeks. I've watched Moneyball three times in the last two weeks.
1: Yeah, that's the like Brad Pitt one, right?
0: Brad Pitt, Jonah Hill about the Oakland A's in 2000, when whether you like baseball movies or not, basically, literally everyone I've known and read about on the Internet that went to see this movie were like, I had no expectations. And this movie slaps from beginning to end. Yeah. if you yeah, Like dramas. Like if you like well acted movies where like the action is in the nuanced plays that are happening behind the scene. And the way that they're sort of trying to beat the system and stuff, as opposed to like explosions, <laughs> then you'll really like this movie.
1: Yeah, that's fair. Like I, I think it was always one of those movies I meant to give a shot, and I just <laughs> never got around to
0: it. Fantastic. If you, I know I told you to watch Silicon Valley, and I stand by that. But if you don't want to invest in watching six seasons of a show, but you got a, a couple of hours to put aside to watch a movie, and it's kind of late at night, and you just want to have a drink and kind of be. Blown away by the story of how Billy Bean basically kind of reinvented how baseball teams are built. It does, actually whether you like baseball movies or sports movies at all. <laughs> it's less about a sports. It's not a baseball movie. Like this is not Mighty Ducks or something like that. This is about you know how to win when you don't have the money to compete. You know this guy had like you know a, a forty million dollar budget up against the Yankees' one hundred and twenty million dollar budget. And he's like, he's trying to build a team that can be competitive against that. And this is, this is the story of the first steps and him doing that. Hmm, cool. And it's phenomenal. I know it has nothing to do with Christopher. There's no Christopher songs anywhere <laughs> near this album. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Satriani does feature as the guy playing the, the American national anthem at the beginning of the movie though. Oh, there you go. So, Hey, I mean, if you're a Joe Satriani fan or a star spangled banner fan, I guess. <laughs> um, anyway. Again, nothing to do with Krista Berg, but go see Moneyball. It, w- it's good. it wouldn't it wouldn't be our <laughs> podcast if we didn't deviate to something completely unrelated at some point.
1: This is wildly off topic.
0: Yeah, and it's on Netflix, so it'll take you less time to watch Moneyball than it took you to listen to the Krista Berg album twice. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, that's really I think that's really cool though. Essentially, the like the band and then the sneaky little cassette. That's so funny. That's just a great piece of like music history trivia.
0: Yeah, there you can hit your dad with that.
1: Yeah, fuck yeah, I might finally stump him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you got the, uh, the bad finger question of what was their name that they released their first single under, The Ivies, mm. and what country was Spanish Train and other stories banned in, and what was the album that they released, or something like that. Oh yeah,
1: that's okay. I'll <laughs> get him with it.
0: There, there's a couple there. You could probably you could probably turn them into a couple, and I bet she won't. Be I
1: after. say that, but every single time I've been like, ooh, I'm finally going to get him." he gets it. He one ups me. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like- I think
0: Christoburg might be just, just random enough. <laughs> Cause God. even at his, at his best, like Christoburg, in a lot, in a lot of the world is a one hit wonder for lady in red. He's got a and, and for the most part, the people who listen to Berg are part of what is called a cult following. <laughs> like The man has sold a lot of albums and he's incredibly successful by, even modern day terms, the fact that he can mount full scale concert tours is incredibly successful. But a lot of that is just built on the fact that he's been going for so long and his songs have held up because they're not necessarily popular music in any way, shape or form. They just are what they are. Yeah. And um, Berg's following is still largely classified as a cult, <laughs> cult following. <laughs> like, you know, people like Berg movies or Berg, and they like, you know, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs>
1: Oh man. I Rocky Horror Picture Show. I love it. Love it so Although much. I would I
0: would argue probably people who like Christopher probably like Logan's Run more than the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah. No, that's true. <laughs> probably very little crossover in the, in that chart. I uh, I put on Instagram a couple weeks ago because every once in a while. I don't know if you check our Instagram very much, but I I put it up there that I uh, was going through like a 70s sci-fi movie theme, movie soundtrack phase and uh, Logan's Run is one of the ones I listen to. So delightfully weird.
1: Yeah, And it's just, it's a solid, it does the movie justice for sure.
0: I got to watch that movie again. I actually own it on Blu-ray. I bought it on Blu-ray to have and never watched it again. (laughs) I saw it years and years ago. And like when Renee and I first started dating, we watched a lot of like weird older movies and stuff. And our first date where we hung out at her house, we watched Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So,
1: Oh, that's a classic though.
0: It was a good way to start a long and very difficult at times relationship. I think I think Ferris Bueller's Day Off is probably a good sign. There's definitely been times in our relationship where I feel like I'm trying to outrun some kind of teacher that's coming to find me. <laughs>
1: anyway. Oh man, the bygone days when the scariest thing we could imagine was a fucking high school principal.
0: Man, <laughs> <laughs> he's like some kind of not giving up school guy. <laughs> I know you cut class, Bart. Five, get the evidence, your ass is mine. Yes, you heard me. I think things I would never say. God, I love that show so much. I <laughs> know you can hear my thoughts, boy. Meow, 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 meow. If there wasn't like... How do we accidentally make a music podcast instead of a Simpsons podcast? (laughs) That's true. Because (laughs) if we were to make a Simpsons podcast,
1: it would just be however long the episodes were. It would just be us saying quotes back and forth. (laughs) There'd be no content, just quotes.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I I think this is really just me projecting more that the Simpsons show podcast is no longer on Spotify (laughs) and I miss it. Yeah. I know. I never even really got to like deep dive into it. Yeah, I think I made it to like season six or seven before it disappeared. It's still out there. Their Twitter's still active. I don't know where they're probably in Stitcher or Apple podcasts only now or something.
1: If you're the police, who's going to police the police? Mm-hmm. Coast Guard. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was watching one of those YouTube videos of like a professional ranking movies. And so have you ever seen those?
1: Yeah, I, I've never really sat down to watch them, but I watch them in passing. And my dad's big on that stuff.
0: Okay, well, there was one. It was uh, a U.S. nuclear submarine captain, and one of the things that he critiqued was the episode where Homer and Barney become reserves, <laughs> and they have to plug up the, the hole in the submarine with an earring. <laughs> and he's like, do you have any idea how fast the water comes into the vessel at that depth? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'm for sure he's
0: like the most accurate thing about this scene is the man underwater drinking beer <laughs> <laughs> you don't know this but in my head right now lady in red is playing <laughs> it's <laughs> nice. a very weird juxtaposition <laughs> yeah damn <laughs> so lady red, <laughs> red yeah, lady in lady red the album for a it's- second <laughs> It's it's the hit. Um, Are we talking about? Oh yeah, this like fucking milestone staple of my childhood musically.
1: <laughs> um, Let's see yeah, how to
0: find out about Lady in Red. I was curious, so I'm not. We'll do the laserdisc because I think laserdisc is the one that
1: I remember better, honestly.
0: Yeah, that's fair. You probably. Uh, yeah, that's fine. <laughs>
1: or if you want, we can do the album. But I was just curious. Which?
0: No, like no, we've already, about, we've already talked about. We've already talked about. Space man came traveling. I'm trying to find it on the list that doesn't have it. <laughs> 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 nice. Man, it's been it's a long, long, long week week <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah so we've already touched on spaceman came traveling which is the biggest difference mm-hmm. so yeah if you got some stuff on lady in red hit me oh no i don't sorry oh, okay <laughs> i was just using that as a segue to get us
1: kind of back on track
0: all right so we yeah, don't spiral into the simpsons for the next two hours <laughs> well i gotta be honest any conversation being taken over by The Simpsons would also be very akin to my childhood. My that's poor mother at the dinner table, we were like, anytime someone would say anything, like just like in The Simpsons that time, she'd be like, oh my god, can we have one dinner without The Simpsons, please?
1: Hey, that's one thing we've got in common, because my dad literally, like, I think we still do somewhere. My dad had the first, like, 16 seasons on VHS. Oh my god. <laughs> he, would, he went down in his little shitty basement and recorded every episode of The Simpsons. He as
0: recorded, it, he didn't he, buy them, he
1: recorded them. Oh, no, he, them? yeah, he self recorded them on VHS. Wow. So when we <laughs> moved. So it was the one of the few things that didn't come with this when we had to go overseas. Dad <laughs>
0: Sorry, getting it just to... strikes me as like a sitcom. i like, who taped over our wedding? <laughs> it <laughs> probably did happen at some point. Maybe <laughs> it was Mr. Burns shot, who shot Mr. Burns <laughs> too. Right? <laughs>
1: yeah, so like. It was, like, the only thing we couldn't bring, and my dad was super bummed about it, because my mom refused to pay to ship a tote of fucking Simpsons VHSs
0: across the sea to
1: England for us.
0: I mean... (laughs) So, like... But, 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 but baby, how 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 am I ever going to watch them again? Right? Like, it's in... (laughs) global syndication well,
1: yeah my mom's super thrilled that all the episodes are on
0: disney plus <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's all my dad did she, just, she just brings me. your father meals at the couch now <laughs> Holy, he bitches and moans that they've been artificially turned into uh widescreen oh yeah there's like the like i don't know coast Guard quote
1: and i've heard yeah. i heard three times a day every day for 10 years <laughs> but we still do My mom hates it but just that specific quote, because my dad will use it for everything. He, his context doesn't matter. Pretty much anytime you ask my father a question, there is a solid 50% chance your answer is going to be, I don't know, Coast Guard? <laughs> like, <laughs> drives my mom mental. Um, yeah, That's excellent. Like a ridiculously big Simpsons fan. Um, <laughs> so he, <laughs> regardless of whether my mom approved or knew, <laughs> he sat us all down and had us watch The Simpsons with him. Um, so there were times like I'll quote stuff and like, not even know where it's coming from. And I'm just like, yeah, probably the Simpsons, <laughs> like have been around for 30 years. If I'm, if I'm quoting something, the Simpsons probably did it. <laughs>
0: like, remembering these fond memories of your dad waxing wise. And it turns out it was just Simpsons. <laughs> yeah, every, every, every deep philosophical thing I've ever learned from my father is someday going to be revealed as a Simpsons <laughs> quote. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what, Stephen? You tried your best and you failed miserably. The lesson is, never try. Thanks, Dad. This is the worst
1: day of my life. No, 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 son. It's the worst day of your life so far. So far.
0: <laughs> anyway, All right. we weren't supposed to get back on The Simpsons. That's my fault. <laughs> so, Lady in Red, yeah. I mean... I mean,
1: like you said, Lady in Red's the hit, right? That's the the hit. Even not knowing who Christopher was, the minute the song played, I was like, oh, I fucking know this song. Like, I never would have known who it was, but (laughs) I know it. I was curious, though, like, on a re-listen for you, like you said, where you kind of started kind of connecting the dots on how much you love reverb guitars and stuff. um, Mm -hmm. What song on this re-listen would you say kind of stood out the most to you or would be your quote-unquote, say, favorite?
0: It's harder for me It's harder for me to lock down a favorite. It's easier for me to tell you the songs I don't like. Yeah, fair the enough. Ones, the ones that I skip. So when I listen to it, aside from a listen to all the way through, the songs I will usually skip, and give me one second, because I'm going to pull up the actual album list. Songs I skip are Spanish Train, Lady in Red, Sometimes, Spaceman Came Traveling, and Patricia the Stripper. I, those are the ones I routinely skip. Even on this re-listen, I listen to it a lot, just because I fell in love with it again. And I'm actually glad that we're finally recording because I have had trouble falling asleep at night because some of these songs have been in my head to the point where it's distracting.
1: Damn, that's really cool. I mean, I it's really awesome that music has that ability. Um, and like I kind of said at the end of our last episode, I was, I was really excited to get the opportunity to kind of listen to you talk about like what this album means to you, kind of how it felt to kind of re-experience it. And it's really awesome to hear that. Yeah, you kind of like refell fell in love with the album. It's crazy that they've literally been on your mind so much that you've <laughs> had a hard time sleeping.
0: Um, yeah, it's it's just, it's constant. It's, it's a bad thing, but it's also kind
1: of a cool thing. Like to be that enthralled or that for an album to kind of incite that a level of passion or almost obsession, I think is a really fucking cool. I think it's a really strong testament to the strength of the performance and of the music.
0: Yeah. it's For me, most of the songs on here, it's it's not even so much memories. It's like emotion. It's like when you walk by someone that wears the same cologne as a girl you're not quite over from like a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And it's like you've learned to live with it. You don't think about it much anymore. You would never go back. But you walk past someone who wears the same perfume and you're there again for a second. Yeah, I'm like, good. do it's I still have her number? It's like, no, no, just <laughs> fucking left, right, left, man. Like, just keep going. <laughs> and for me, it's almost like that, where it's like, this was the soundtrack more than anything else in my life when I was doing so much of my, like, emotional growth and learning. You, you think of, like, our kids, like, between five and eight. Like, I remember listening to this as early as I have memories. And we moved into the house that I remember listening to this album in when I was three, my brother had just was going to turn five. My parents didn't want us going to school in the city because they were baby boomers and (laughs) they probably watched too much of CNN when it came out and saw gangs in LA and thought that that meant there was going to be gangs in like old town, Ottawa, (laughs) where they had spent. Both of them had spent their entire life at that point. We can't raise our kids and send them to school in a city. It's like, <laughs> So they moved us to a small town where instead of having like multicultural people and learning about and meeting lots of people, it's like, oh, let's just move to this fucking white bread, small town of 5,000 people where everybody's small minded and <laughs> high school football is the only thing anybody gives a shit about. You got to have that, <laughs> that, that all American <laughs> Canadian upbringing. <laughs> oh my God. I would have preferred to go to the school in a city. Maybe meet some black people before the age of 20. I shouldn't
1: laugh, sorry, but honestly, I feel that so hard because I have family members that essentially their parents did the same thing. And I, I have a cousin who legitimately didn't meet their first black person in their life until they were 22 years old. And I thought, that was like a once in a lifetime occurrence. I thought it was yeah. like unbelievable that that was true. So it really, <laughs> I really love <laughs> that I now know two people. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I think, I think there was two, there was two black girls in our high school and they were adopted by white people. <laughs> there was a Chinese family in our town that ran the Chinese restaurant. <laughs> Damn! <laughs> it was called the Canadian Cafe, and that's not what people in town called it. Yeah, no doubt. They called it that slur for Chinese people cafe because mm-hmm. people suck. <laughs> What's that? Oh, I said, I said, because people suck. But <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyway, it was a nice enough town, but I. It's funny because I grew up and moved to Edmonton, which is kind of like this city version of the town I grew up in. Yeah,
1: it's, you know, far, not far.
0: The park. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, um, like this, this album was just like, like, I, I don't remember a time in my life where I wasn't list- like, we didn't listen to it. So it came out in 1990, 11th of September, 1990. So I would have been six when this album was released.
1: Yeah. So like truly your, your initial like formative years.
0: Yeah. And for all I know, my dad bought it like when it came out. And so, yeah, there, there isn't, I have no memories of not having this CD in my life. I have no memories of like really before, like I have I, I shouldn't say that. I have memories before that. Cause I have some memories of the house we lived in in the city yeah. before we moved to the country and stuff. But in terms of music, like I don't remember I don't remember an album that was played before my dad bought this album. And he obviously had tons of them because it was in a drawer that was full of CDs and he had all those tapes that we talked about and he had all his records and stuff like my dad is a big music fan. And before the age of you know six, when he got this, I really don't have any memories of what we listened to as a family before that. There are some other albums that are um, staples of my childhood that uh, Elton John live in Sydney album that we talked about. And I went on a rant about, he listened to that a lot. Um, He listened to goodbye yellow brick road to a certain degree. It was kind of those two. It was like Elton John and this two live albums are most of what I remember about music in my life at that age that aren't like Smurfs and kids. music. Yeah.
1: No, that's really cool. Um, and I think it's, it's cool that like you touched on earlier that um, it really, it really shows kind of your interest in music now and the type of music you prefer um, when you go back and look at the, the two kind of big albums from your childhood were live music. Um, and like we've yeah. talked about several times before that you really prefer live. Like I really um, do. Yeah. Whereas right. Me personally, um, I listened I'm sure I listened to plenty of live albums, right. Um, with like the Ramones, a lot of the album's my dad was able to get were (laughs) live and bootleg live um, recordings.
0: Yeah. The radio used to play that back in the day, right? It was a good place to get bootlegs was off the radio.
1: Yeah. um, But most of what I listened to was just albums like studio recorded. um, And I think that came from like, my dad grew up kind of exceptionally poor for a long time. Mm. Um, So a lot of the, when he could finally get an album, I think, um, a lot of it was he didn't want to risk that it would be a bad live copy. Um, He'd rather Mm. have taken the studio and it might not have been as raw and as intense as the live, but he knew it would be some level of consistent quality. Um, A lot of the albums we grew up listening to were studio. Um, And until we really started talking until you started suggesting, like until you suggested this, I really didn't listen to, I never went out of my way to listen to live tracks or albums. Um, Right. And I will say that like, I really enjoyed the experience of watching this as, like that laser disc and watching it as a live performance. Mm -hmm. Um, It just, it adds another depth kind of to the experience to, to hear and to see the crowd kind of get into it and get excited and kind of feel that moment with the artist and the band. It just, Yeah. yeah, it's hard to kind of put into words, but I think it adds a really, really neat, like a really awesome level of depth and complexity to the experience of listening to it.
0: Um, It's sort of like reading a book, I find, where if you let your brain go, you know, you're reading a book, you let your brain go, you start (laughs) like that. Describe reading. It's like, oh, you stare at a dead tree and hallucinate wild, (laughs) you know, but let your brain kind of take you away and like you're there, you're reading it, sitting in your bedroom or wherever, you know, staring at words on a page, but your brain takes over and kind of transports you to that world. And I find with live performances, if you allow the same kind of process to happen to yourself mentally, you can transport yourself to being in the audience or being on stage. And I find that it really adds to the experience of doing it. And I find that I think that's maybe the thinness I feel when I listen to Christa Burke's studio albums is I can't get there. I'm not in the audience. I'm not on stage with him. It just takes that part of it away. I'm now. I'm now just simply reading the words on the page. I'm not hallucinating what's there. I'm not, I'm not in the world. And for me, I'd rather listen to a bad live recording, in some cases, to studio albums. My top two artists in my life have been the Beatles and Nirvana. And I spent years in high school and college, in the pre-YouTube days, trying to find every bit of live footage and recordings I could of Nirvana. And it was a lot of bootlegs. And I had all of, and I burned them all into these old CDs and stuff. And it was like, I kind of stopped listening to the albums. And and frankly, I stopped listening to the officially released albums because I liked these ones better because the professionally released ones quite often cut the audience out of it to a certain degree and they cut the stage banter out of it. And it really and they try and make this like packaged thing so you can listen to it without having a lot of gaps in the songs where a concert has gaps in the songs quite often. And that's kind of part of this, the fun. And and I don't know, I just I like being in that world. And I think that's, again, why watching the Laserdisc kind of spoiled it for me just a little bit, because whatever I imagined it to be, it couldn't be that anymore.
1: Yeah, I understand
0: that. No, I couldn't watch, you know, I couldn't listen to Patricia, the stripper and not know that he's walking around wearing a red scarf, pulling panties out of his pockets and throwing them into the audience, doing the worst dance (laughs) in his 1980s oversized suit. Oh, it truly like I I can't unsee that. And it's literally playing in front of me right now. And I just, I hate so much that I know this now.
1: (laughs) I was going to say, like, first off, that's a really good analogy. Um, like reading the book and to take it back to that kind of analogy, I totally understand what you mean. Cause for me, it's almost talking like books and movies. It's why sometimes I won't, sometimes I won't watch the movie. That's an ad- adaptation of the book, especially if it's a book that I really love because once I've seen it manifested on the screen, I know if I go back mm-hmm. to that book, right, that's I'm going to picture those characters, not the characters I have in my head, not the characters I know, but mm-hmm. the ones that have been created by the movie
0: studios, and it's, you watched Sphere, didn't you?
1: <laughs> you know what movie really, <laughs> what series of movies really fucking ruined that for me, of all things, was Harry Potter.
0: Oh, really? I've only seen the movies. My older daughter and Renee are reading all the books. And they just finished four, and so she wants to watch the movie this weekend.
1: Yeah, so, like, obviously they were a much, especially in the beginning, they were a way bigger deal in England, right? With her being a her Oh, her I, I can imagine, yeah. So... I like when that first book came out, I remember like I got it either as a gift or I bought it myself, like a week or two out from when it was released. And I'm a, I'm a huge book nerd. I fucking love reading. Um, I don't get nearly as much time in my life as I would like to do reading, like to continue reading. Um, Mm -hmm. But Harry Potter was probably one of the first series that really like, really kind of stole me away. Like I can Mm -hmm. still remember the feeling of reading the first couple books in the series and it was to the point that when we, we left England, one of our family friends would actually like, she would buy first run copies of the books when they dropped in England and she would mail them to me so that oh, I never wow. had to wait for that to come overseas. Cause there used to be like a six to say nine month delay. Um, so yeah. yeah, she used to go and buy them essentially day one. And then she would mail them to me. So I didn't have to wait. Um, Cause it was just, it consumed me. It was the first the first real obsession in my life, I think that like, I just couldn't get enough of, I would read those books three, four times, <laughs> like hmm. easily. And way back when I used to like, I really used to, like you said, I'd get reading and I would kind of zone out um, and just enjoy and absorb it. And I remember I read the second or third one. Once I really started getting into it, I read it in one sitting. Essentially. I sat down on a, a weekend. It must've been and essentially just read the whole last book start to finish without
0: a stop. I didn't, oh, damn. didn't break at all. Uh, That's the second book. The second, the very last one, right?
1: <laughs> what?
0: That's the very last book. Oh no, this was like, this is like book two out of seven. Okay. I was like, I'm trying to, rem- I'm trying to figure out which one. Cause for some reason I thought you, you said the very last one. And I was like, Oh, well I could see that with the very last one, but not. No, Harry was- and Hermione's magically boring tent.
1: Yeah, no, it was just the, there's the second one. Like, I read the first one, loved it. Second one dropped and it just like, whatever it was that like it clicked. Um, And yeah, I sat down, I read the whole book in one day, just start to finish, no breaks, no food. And then I kind of started doing it with every time they released. And it's funny you mention it because like the, I might be wrong if I'm remembering the page amounts wrong, but I'm pretty sure book five is still the biggest, um, Order of the Phoenix. And if not, at the time it was, I think 200 pages longer than the longest one so far, I still sat down and read read that fuck room one day.
0: Like, oh wait, I know. El- Elliot, my daughter, is talking about how they're going. They just finished *Goblet of Fire*. They're going to order *The Phoenix*, and she keeps insisting it's the shortest. Really? Of like the long books.
1: It might be. Like, I might be remembering um, six and seven wrong. *Half Blood Prince*. Okay. I'm pretty sure is a relatively shorter book. Um, more Maybe it's *Half
0: Blood Prince*. She's one. talking about.
1: But like the the final one, the *Deathly Hallows* might be longer than Order of Phoenix. I remember it being a pretty okay. hefty book.
0: I'm trying to remember. Which is five? Is it? Is Half-Blood Prince six? No, Half-Blood Prince is six. Order of the Phoenix is okay. definitely five. Okay, so I think, yeah, they just finished Goblet of Fire. So, <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's de- um, Half-Blood Prince that's shorter, and they have to get through this other one first.
1: Yeah, so I I haven't gone back to read them in a long time, because when I think of Harry Potter now, I think of, like, the Daniel Radcliffe, Harry Potter. And hmm. I don't want to tangent. I got a lot of bad feelings in a whole
0: heap. Of you want to a special episode we, can, we can talk about Harry Potter. Um, I'm, I'm here for it. <laughs>
1: yeah. But yeah, so I, I totally, in a weird way, I totally sympathize with what you mean in that, right? Like the Harry Potter movies effectively ruined the books for me because when I, if I were to go back and read them, they'll never be that incredible, insane magical world i had built in my head it'll just yeah. be the fucking 12 actors on the screen that i've you know because danielle loves the movie she never really had the books um yeah so she still puts them on <laughs> all girl. the girls right? <laughs> <laughs> twinsies <laughs> um yeah so i haven't gone back and read the books in years and years and years because when i think of it i i picture the fucking movie now. And it just it'll always kind of yeah, it'll always kind of suck that I'll never get that initial holy shit, this this world is awesome feeling again.
0: That was um it's funny my as I'm sure you remember, my my biggest nerd out franchise was Star Wars and still is. But we didn't have a VCR when I was a kid, so I was introduced to Star Wars by the X-Wing video game and the books. I read the novelization of A New Hope before I saw the movie because we didn't have a VCR. And I read The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi novelizations before I watched the movies. And it was funny because in the novelization of A New Hope, it has all the shit that George Lucas was forced to cut out to actually make the movie go anywhere. Yeah. So like Luke, like hanging out with his friends (laughs) in town and like watching watching the space battle from the planet like it's all now been released as part of the blu-ray special edition like deleted scene stuff all that boring ass shit it's all in the novel so i read this novel and i was like what's missing like a whole bunch of the beginning (laughs) (laughs) like damn half of this movie's missing did they break it Yeah, no, it's just uh, uh, George Lucas's wife, Marsha Lucas, knew how to edit a film so people would actually want to watch it (laughs) so it wasn't six and a half hours long. (laughs) And boring as fuck. (laughs) George Lucas was really, really good at writing stories and his ex-wife, Marsha Lucas, was really, really good at making them, you know, have pacing. (laughs) Again, so yeah, I totally get what you mean. Um, In a weird way, I was introduced to my favorite nerd franchise because of books just because of a lack of access to movies in those days and I read a shitload of the expanded universe so if anything I'm one of those people that when Disney bought Star Wars and blew away the expanded universe I was one of those people that got a bit butthurt about it because so much of my childhood and book reading and love for the franchise was built on reading those books when liking Star Wars was <laughs> not cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> before before being a nerd became cool because, you know, it was now part of like the Avengers movie series and and Star Wars was a big deal again and, you know, before being becoming a nerd was becoming okay. Like, I liked Star Wars when like you were a pariah and people would openly laugh and mock at you because you like Star Wars. I read the books and I played the video games. And like the hours I spent on the Wikipedia, and all of them, they were just like, that's nah, cool. We're just going to blow that away and just completely nullify it. And then I go watch these movies at Disney's Mane I'm just like, I'm sorry, explain to me how this is better. <laughs> yeah. So we may have to, again, I'm I'm going to, I'm going to pull it back. I'm going to pull it <laughs> way back as I asked you to do with Harry Potter. <laughs> and I want to wrap up on Christopher because um, I think, Yeah, with I think uh, I've I've kind of exhausted my memories of it, and I think because there isn't these big stories like we had with Dropkick, where like their songs are written about kind of real events, I would say as a as a listening experience, it's going to be difficult to access this in the same way that you can access the rest of the albums. Like this is not on Spotify. You could find every song that's on this concert on Spotify on his studio released albums. There are I think one maybe two concert albums on Spotify, but they're not this. And I would urge you to look it up on YouTube and give it a shot. You know, you're not probably going to like the whole thing. You're going to skip some, but it's, if you are someone that likes good songs that are built well, are sung well and have good lyrics and good stories, then you'll probably like this music. If you're someone that's more like Steven, who likes stripped down music and doesn't really get into the stories and the lyrics of this kind of stuff or the big sound, and it maybe not for you, but if you're like me and you like a big sound and you, if you like songs that are about stories, if you want to listen to somebody that could, like I said earlier, very easily probably be plopped into the 1300s and sing songs and write stories, you probably like this guy. I would say maybe don't watch him live because he's a giant dork. <laughs> <laughs> but as a singer-songwriter, he's phenomenal. He's he's absolutely... I, I, I can't think of someone else that I would say writes songs that tell stories as well as he does. And I'm sure there's lots, but I would say, like, if you like Bruce Springsteen or something like that, try this guy.
1: Kind of from my perspective, closing thoughts, um, it's not my thing, but I will say... It is. It's still an incredibly enjoyable listen. It's a powerhouse of talent up on the stage performing these songs, even if they all look like middle-aged dads out of place. Um, it's
0: from a time when music wasn't about looking good, right? And that you can tell. Um, <laughs>
1: yeah, it's. also well, I guess from a time
0: when this kind of music didn't matter. Yeah. Obviously, like this is like high oh, to hair metal. Yeah, so. I was gonna say like
1: <laughs> this. The aesthetic totally meant matches the era and the type of music. It's just not in any way what you would think when you think rock star, especially not today. Yeah. Uh, but go give it a shot. Um, It's got some really strong, all the lyrical works incredible and the vocals are so good.
0: It's yeah. Like a he had really a hell of a, strong, a voice. It's gone now, but he had a hell of a voice.
1: Yeah. There's some really strong presentation. There's some really strong, like just the, the level of energy and excitement in the audience is enough to really help kind of sell you on the album.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I will say, like, there's only a few songs that really kind of stuck out to me. And as far as like favorites go, <laughs> unfortunately for me, it actually is Patricia the Stripper. Nice.
0: Um, <laughs> it's just, it's like, well, hey man, that's why we're running two different song lists, right?
1: Right. I was just playing through it. That was the one that just kind of stuck out to me. Um, that like fun, the more up tempo beat, the kind of change of pace from what sometimes is like kind of really somber. I don't want to say drastic, but like really somber lyrics. Um, he does craft incredible stories and they all feel complete. They don't feel rushed or made up. They feel true every, every single time you hear one. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Patricia, the stripper was the one that really kind of stuck out for me.
0: Nice. I would say, yeah, for me, it's got to probably borderline
1: borderlines really good. Like the, out of the two are the ones I kind of had to pick um, borderline mostly because when he hits that fucking piano,
0: damn,
1: <laughs> like we've talked about before on the Elton John <laughs> fiasco that yeah i'm a big sucker for a well-played piano
0: um and he sings the hell out of the song like when I mean, he's up the there going like no it.
1: borderline he like, really sells his voice it really showcases mm-hmm. the talent he has not just as a songwriter but as a singer and yeah i mean not my not the type of music i would listen to by <laughs> any means like wide margin um <laughs> still a really kind of pleasant listening experience um there'll be a couple like spaceman cam traveling is gonna end up on my playlist patricia the stripper probably borderline um, most of the others were they're good if that's the type of music you're into for sure. Um, it's a really mm. consistent really impressive kind of sound but yeah, give it a shot. It's good probably better than you expect it to be
0: I would say. But Stephen there's one more thing we gotta do before we get out of here What's that? Songbird! What's <laughs> the songbird? singing Let me know the score or me, honestly, what is your your vote for song? My
1: vote for Strongbird was definitely Patricia the Stripper though. Okay. Just because like there were a couple times where like it caught my attention enough to look over but there wasn't a single song on this album that I was like holy shit whoa. <laughs> who who pressed fast forward <laughs> on this album <laughs> like Patricia the Stripper was for me. Yeah.
0: Or you? Uh yeah, Patricia the Stripper if we're going with the album and not the laser disc, because if it's the disk it's got to be the Spirit of Man. But it kicks me out because it wasn't on the album. Mm, um, yeah, Patricia the Stripper, definitely. I would also argue Lady in Red. But I think Lady in Red fits the aesthetic of the album better than Patricia the Stripper does. Patricia the Stripper is such a songbird that even when you watch the album, it's the only song in the whole concert where the band changes position
1: yeah absolutely like it's (laughs) like
0: they all move into like this little grouping down in the front of the stage every other song they're like up on these big like it's a big 80s style stage oh yeah and they're all in different corners (laughs) um yeah
1: and when it kicked off i looked over the screen and i genuinely for a second thought that i was watching like like they had insert a different video clip because it just like i went from (laughs) <laughs> the like the intro where it's just him standing in the blue light playing his guitar with his like band members behind him, looked yeah. up and he's wearing this bright red scarf, throwing panties around,
0: surrounded by his <laughs> band members, this super tight group. I was yeah. like immediately, what just happened? <laughs> yeah. It's funny though, because it's like they they splice it together. Like I was saying, like a lot of professionally released concert albums will cut the stage banter and stuff. And it's like, what do you think the time break was? To set up for Patricia the stripper, imagine—they <laughs> like, had to bring drums down and a keyboard down. Like they, call, they all changed places, and they moved the instruments. So they had to change mics around and stuff, and then he would have had to go back and get all those clothes. I'm sure he doesn't, he does not have his pockets stuffed with panties for most of the concert. <laughs> and then they had to put it all back. <laughs> Just a quick, so I'm, I'm, in the
1: middle of your concert.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'd be really interested to know where that song actually landed in the concert. Cause I don't think it lands in the concert where it's placed on the album. No,
1: that's too. It definitely doesn't feel like that's where, which where it should be, let alone where it would be. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's just, it's wild. It just, the whole,
0: the whole tone, the whole pace of the album just so radically shifts. All right. Well, that was easy. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I would say aside from a couple of like weird sort of, in my opinion, as someone that's listening to it a lot, a little stumbling blocks of some of the songs that you like the best, this album kind of hits from beginning to end and it goes high energy songs to low energy songs, sad songs, fun songs, exciting songs. And I think it takes you through all of those really evenly in a way that's really sort of emotionally satisfying. Mm-hmm. And then the way that it ends on don't pay the Ferryman" man on high in emotion. is like, it really ends on a big, big satisfying note. Yeah,
1: absolutely. The flow of it is incredible. And because each individual song is like its own little story. Um, by the time you get to the end of the album, you really feel like you've essentially just sat down and listened to a a style of audiobook. Like it has such a satisfying conclusion. It really does feel like he just got up on stage and told you this giant epic. It just yeah. happened to
0: be backed by a bunch of instruments. A bunch of mulleted men <laughs> and khakis <laughs> and shoulder pads. Wearing fucking pleated pants. <laughs> so that said, I'm just gonna run down the personnel on this album because I'm sure they don't get name checked too often. So Christopher obviously guitar piano lead vocals all the songs on the album are written by him then we have ian kojima guitar keyboard saxophone backing vocals this really cool japanese guy that wears big red glasses and has a mullet and then there's al uh, marnie bass guitar backing vocals the stereotypical 80s bass player who stands way at the back and is basically faceless for the entire concert (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Danny McBride, as we mentioned earlier, not the comedian, but the guitarist, lead guitar, backing vocals. Uh, another another glorious blonde curly mullet man named Glenn Morrow, backing vocals and keyboards. He's the one with the mustache and the thinning hair and the pleated pants and the mullet. And then Jeff Phillips, who is just the most '80s looking mulleted drummer you'll ever see. He's got his big kit with a lot of electronic drums. <laughs> attached yeah. to it so this if you just want to celebrate what dad rock was in the 80s <laughs> this maybe you want to watch the laser disc which i found on torrenting sites i mean i totally paid for <laughs> i have a laser player <laughs> I'll, I'll maintain at this at this point when it comes to movies and television shows and music i'm paying for enough services that if it's not there i don't feel bad about getting it <laughs> through torrent it's like i pay for spotify it was there i would have listened to it on spotify wasn't there sorry yeah (laughs) (laughs) so anyway this is a yeah big cornerstone of my childhood thanks for letting me indulge thanks for the simpsons chat and the keeping it up and goddamn i hope your smoke detector doesn't go off anymore so your kids can sleep and you can (laughs) thank
1: you (laughs) um thank you thank you for sharing like your memories with us like your feelings it it's really, one of the, my favorite things in the world is to listen to somebody talk about the thing they're passionate about. And mm-hmm. it's just, it was really awesome to share that with you because you let me do it with you for the the Drop Picks album. So thank you. Thank you for being honest. Thank you for honestly filling most of the talking in this episode because I wouldn't have had much to say.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> well, you usually, you, you pretty strongly carry a lot of our episodes. When I go back and edit them, I realize how much of the talking you do, how much of the research you're doing when we go into them and stuff. And, you know, I know I... I bitch and moan about how long it takes to edit them and stuff, but I don't want to ever detract from the effort you're putting into bringing content to the episode. So I appreciate that so much. Well, and if you, uh, if you want to, <laughs> what's that? Oh, I said, I appreciate that. Oh, it's my pleasure. Yeah. And if you want to have a good laugh, I'll tell you one more funny story about this album and me. Please do. When I was in third grade, we had to do, we had one of those like elementary school music things where we had to make instruments and sing a song with our instruments, which were like fucking Kleenex boxes and elastic bands. Yeah, and the song that we sang—and by we, I mean me by myself—with like three friends over there, like strumming on Kleenex boxes, was high in emotion. I soloed that shit a <laughs> cappella in third grade in front of my entire class. <laughs> bravo wow i remember the teacher being like oh i know this song everybody <laughs> else is like staring at me like what the fuck is he singing it's <laughs> a bold choice i'm like oh my heart is burning like a fire I'm like third grade me <laughs> that's how you win that's
1: how you win the grade folks pick your oh, yeah. favorite
0: song <laughs> yeah when you're playing when you're singing songs that no one knows but the teacher knows and you are a power dork like <laughs> i was it has no friends and wears a lot of track pants yo same <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you for sharing that.
0: All right. If you're a listener of ours and you're frustrated with sort of the inconsistency of when the episodes are going up, I'm sorry. I'm doing the best I can, but if you're a listener of ours, you know that I'm a single dad with two jobs. And at some point I need to clean my house and grocery shop and be a human being and editing the episodes is usually about two full evenings of work for me. So I'm doing the best I can to get them up before Friday, but please just bear with me.
1: (laughs) Damn, no no arguments here. Um, Yeah. Those of of you out there listening, you know, we appreciate it. Thank you for spending your time with us. There's so much you could be doing with that. And it's, you know, it's a privilege that you would spend it with listening to these two dorky dads talk about music and pretty much everything else.
0: (laughs) Talk about our music and none of which is cool. (laughs) Right. Hey to, hey to all of our new fans that listen to uh, Ace of Base's album or the Ace of Base uh, episode
1: So once a year we just need to do an Ace of Base
0: episode hell yeah <laughs> refresh that pull just, uh, keep tagging Jenny on uh, Instagram <laughs> do the bridge <laughs> alright well thanks so much for listening we're going to take our nonsense off air now and uh, try and get some sleep and call a night steven thanks so much for letting me gab i've really enjoyed this going down memory lane with you and uh it's been fun it's been a lot of fun and uh i got to listen to some interesting stuff that i never would have listened to had you not introduced me to it and i hope the same goes for you yeah absolutely 100 percent, all the same here awesome all right well we'll call it a night for another week thanks so much for listening and we will be back next week stay tuned see ya Thanks for listening to Life to Labyrinth podcast. Theme music by Devin Rose. Find Devin on Bandcamp or any streaming service. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Life2Labyrinth.